Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. I hope you are well in whatever you are doing. It's absolutely wonderful to have you join us on our latest show. And today's show is a fabulous one. We work with a number of different charity partners, great causes, inspirational causes. And we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about HR people issues and stuff like that. But actually, sometimes we like to go in a slightly different direction and talk to some of our partners. And this is one of those instances because we've got a really interesting story that I know that you guys are going to like. It's uh, it's featuring an organisation called Change Please. We've got the CEO, Samal Ezal, who is joining us. Before I introduce and say hello to Samal, though, I've got a partner in crime who's going to be firing some questions and who actually introduced us to the guys at Change Please. That's uh, David Pacifico from our exec team. Dave, you're at? Yeah, really well. Really looking forward to this inspirational story today. Yeah, me too. Me too. Samar, good to see you. Yes. Good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honour to be uh, to be on with you guys. Nope, it's great having you on. So this one is going to be, like I said, slightly different to our normal podcast because normally we go into you know deep HR issues and things like that. But actually, today is a bit more of a fact-finding one. And so what I'd like to do is for you to just kick us off, really, just to tell us a little bit about Change Please as an organisation, why you founded it, like, and just talk talk to our listeners about the journey that you've been on as a, as, a, as an opening gambit, if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a journey that's changed and iterated over the years. And the original idea that you first have, of course, is never going to be the same. So it's been it's been a lot of learnings and challenges. And and overall, it really is surprising, actually, that where we've come to kind of six, six and a half, seven years later is is kind of achieving as much impact as you wanted to have when you first have this kind of idealistic idea of tackling a societal problem. So and that just comes through the journey that we've been on and our team really can be committed to the cause. And the, the, the original idea came for me, actually, when I was in Vietnam, I, I was uh, going through this kind of midlife crisis as a commodity broker. And I kind of took this kind of break and with my partner traveling around Asia. And we were on this 18 hour bus journey. This American traveler sat next to me on, on the bus and he just said, look, if you're not happy with your job or your life, you should do the rocking chair test. And that's to imagine sit- sitting in a rocking chair at the age of 90, looking back on your life, thinking, what have you achieved? What What's your legacy on the world? Have you left the world in a better place? And how are your children going to speak about you? And that for me, you know, if I was feeling quite depressed at the time before he said that, I felt, you know, hyper depressed immediately afterwards. And it took me on this kind of journey of, of trying to think about, you know, what's this whole life thing for and a couple of weeks later we were still in Vietnam in a city called Hoi An and, and it's this really beautiful Japanese town and there's a silent tea house there which was run by these ladies who were deaf and mute some were deaf some were mute and it just blew me away you know this ability to do business and good at the same time which you know we we see as obvious now but for me you know which is pretty much take this this idea was 10 years ago was completely alien and I and I left and I said I want to set up a silent tea house in Clapham in London and then a few weeks later so a few few minutes later I realized I don't like tea I hate Clapham I don't really like silence you know this business is going to fail quite quickly and but that really took me on the journey of setting up change please this ability 
that to do good and help people and, and do commercial, raise commercial income at the same time was similar to the feeling that I wanted Change Please to be in terms of finding people who are homeless and rough sleeping and give them an opportunity to lift themselves out of homelessness through jobs and provide us providing them with housing quite quickly. But doing that through trade, through business, through chain organisations, changing a product that they might have purchased anyway, but just doing good with the profits that were collected and reinvesting those profits into social impact. And yeah, that was that was right at the beginning, kind of seven uh, that was 10 years ago. We launched about a couple of years later and then um our spike roastery in Peckham and then and then changed piece the following year and and it's been going now for seven years and we're in eight countries around the world. It's and delivering an impact in all those markets to, and changing people's lives. And and actually what's what's been a bigger success for me than just the people we're supporting is really the ripple effect of showing other businesses what's possible with trade and business and the use of profits and also how business can be done differently, which has been super exciting. You know, that's been probably the biggest benefit, being on this wave of social enterprise and how that's grown, as well as the direct impact that we've been having to the people that we support. And the basic premise to begin with, Samar, was around coffee, wasn't it? Tell us yes, more exactly. about so, the movement from tea to coffee. Yeah, so we, and this is quite embarrassing actually to say, but at the age of 29, when I had this idea, I only drank one coffee in my life into that point. And the reason for that is I'm from Turkish Cypriot heritage and in our culture, we drink these kind of very dense, thick, bitter coffees. And it's probably the only culture that keeps coffee grounds in the cup. And uh, my parents at the age of five were drinking their coffees. They left the sediment at the bottom of the cup uh, and they left the cup on the table and they left. And um, I picked up the cup drank it after afterwards and I had a mouthful of sediment and it gave me a massive headache and I just had this kind of horrible memory of coffee but for me what's great about coffee is that it's a space and it creates a space where people can come together it creates a community atmosphere it creates a habitual purchase you tend to develop a relationship or connection to your baristas uh, and that's actually how we met David in terms of you met one of our baristas Lucy at, at, at Canary Wharf at one of our sites yeah. and and you met her on a daily basis and and that was your connection and you know I'm sure there may or may not have been better coffee places around in the area I, I argue there probably wasn't but you you just had a bond with her and we've been and that's do you see what I mean and that that, that relationship and that you build with people it is and and you know I, I'd lived in Australia for 10 years where they take coffee very seriously and there's actually very few coffee shops out there that are branded with some of the names that you'll recognize on the high street and when I was working for Thomson Reuters coming out of Canary Wharf tube station I came across this wonderful coffee cart called Change Please had no idea it was a social enterprise but the smile on the face of Lucy the quality of coffee and just the level of customer service was just inspiring and a i kept kept coming back because i love the coffee <laughs> and still mm. continue to love the coffee but there's also the engagement from lucy and also the power to do good and which is why i've been a real advocate of of, of change please over a number of years and it's just been inspiring just to see how you know from that initial coffee cart you've grown that business and i'm kind of curious to know what were some of the kind of key milestones that you took in order to go from one coffee cart to 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 the enterprises that you have now 
I think actually part of the answer is really launching your with your minimum viable product. Being a startup at that stage, it was it, it happened to be our minimum viable product and our best viable product, our only viable product, so to speak. But it being able to get a coffee van out on streets or ideally we launched in Covent Garden and seeing the public's reaction was absolutely invaluable and we had a great press reaction but I remember the launch we would have we had you know BBC, ITV, Vice and etc etc come to interview us on that opening day and then as soon as they left and the following days that we were trading we were just turning over like not enough to cover one person's salary and it was pretty pretty sad the i remember actually going we didn't have enough cash flow in the company i was having to go to i don't recommend this for anyone to do by the way but having to go to the bank to use my personal card and take out cash and pay our other baristas just to make sure we got through the day and it was a really big eye-opener for me you know we had three people serving and i was expecting queues of like 200 people is we're helping the homeless you know it's a it's great cause and no one, people just walking past. You know, it's just pretty soul destroying. And that for me was a huge, huge lesson. Firstly, it was you need to make sure that the financial stability of the organisation is strong before you're delivering your impact to make sure that you have the financial underpinning and otherwise you're putting people's jobs into more insecurity than they perhaps were previously. The next learning was all the messaging on the coffee van was about homelessness. I assumed that that would act as a magnet to just draw people through and I thought the more times we could talk about our social mission, the more times, the more it was going to increase our sales because people would attract to what we're doing and again that, that wasn't true i we learned that first and foremost the product quality the price the convenience to purchase had to be as good if not better than the competitors and the social and environmental piece was just a bonus and we learned that the hard way and um for me making those learnings before spending hundreds of thousands on, on a retail store and making it on a you know an 18,000 pound coffee van was a much better way to kind of do that and and yeah we've now gone into 18 countries around the world so it's it's we've learned a lot in in other areas but that really was the first learnings for me that's amazing and i understand from your early days you had some important mentors business mentors that are that gave you some guidance along the way um one of which was perhaps uh sir richard branson is that right and how did he come into being and and what kind of advice and support have you had from him and other mentors along the way we launched change please and we got a loan actually from virgin startup to be able to launch with purchase the first coffee fans which was incredible and then um after launching we got a message from virgin group basically saying richard branson's doing competition for best startup to come to Nico Island and present to their leadership team and guests, et cetera. And I was like, and then they said, would you, would you like to apply for it? So I made an application and then within a month found myself on Neko Island with like with George Clooney and Mark Clooney with like all these international kind of like business partners with Richard Branson. It was pretty eye-opening to just be thrust into that right from the beginning without kind of, you know, without kind of building necessarily we wanted to build but just on the concept alone and it led into support and mentorship by Sir Richard which was incredibly incredibly valuable and 
you know, one of the key lessons that he's told me, but also others is really, if you don't know how to do something, say yes and, and learn how to do it later, which for someone who's like me and has my temperament and is, is a kind of high risk taking entrepreneur, it's almost like having crack cocaine. It's uh, it's not the best. It's not it's like, you know, it just t- turbocharges your, you become, makes you, makes you hyper risk, open to risk. But actually the, the, the less generally for mentors has been actually fantastic at one point and a lot of corporates really love giving social businesses or startups mentor support and it is really really valuable but at one point I had 19 mentors and um I and a lot of those some really senior positions in companies like managing partners of top five consulting firms for example and I actually spent a lot of my time let's say managing them if that makes sense more than actually the benefit I was getting and at one point we were really I was really stuck with a a real deep challenge that we were facing as an organization and I sent I copy and pasted this exactly the same message to all 19 mentors individually not in a group but individually on SMS this is pre-WhatsApp on SMS and just saw the um waited for a response back to them and I was just shocked I mean I probably had two of the answers were similar the the other 17 answers were completely different and again these were people I heavily respected and it just taught me probably the biggest lesson I've learned which was there is actually no right or wrong answer there is you you can almost as long as you trust yourself to get to a 50 50 point there actually just isn't a right or wrong answer it's really trusting your gut it's really seeing what fits which of those answers fits into your overall direction your vision your strategy your, your kind of overall strategy but but most importantly trusting yourself to make that decision and and following your gut instinct and following your inner drive and and that gave me more confidence than anything else which which helped to kind of drive in a better direction rather than feeling like oh is this the right thing to do is it not the right thing to do let's go and ask somebody else and then you did a did a you go left or right and I just believed in going forward and and that's probably why we're quite an opportunistic company very entrepreneurial we've made mistakes but we believe in getting up and learning from those and, and moving on quickly and yeah we were in eight countries and the first country we launched into unwisely was australia you know <laughs> opposite side of the country yeah, <laughs> and yeah they're all just massive learnings but if you don't learn from those then that's where i think the mistake is yeah yeah certainly do you know what's interesting is when you just read about your story and your journey because it, it's not just what you're talking about there when with entrepreneurial spirit that strikes me as something that has been absolutely vital for the diversification that you've done because you don't just it's not just saying to people you're homeless we're going to give you a job there you go where you go so can you just talk about some of the other things that you're doing for people because you do like training academy programs all of that sort of stuff so can you just touch on some of that because for somebody who obviously i uh, i live in uxbridge in middlesex and in brunel university there's a change change please shop and so i've walked past it and known oh it's a coffee shop but it's only when you start to realize the the background behind it but then also you see all of the other work that's been done so from your perspective you can just touch on us for some of the other initiatives you do to help people and then also how important that entrepreneurial spirit has been and how much that then reflects in the rest of your people as well not just yourself yeah thank you for asking that because not many people do that people look at the key metric of number of people that you supported etc etc but what does support actually look like we believe in a holistic uh, solution to tackle homelessness we're not just providing one element of a journey and it starts really with finding people who are rough sleeping or homeless statutory homeless and assessing that person's ability to kind of 
come out of homelessness through their own endeavours. And that starts with the, the initial referral. So whether that referring partner feels that that person's in the right space in their life journey to, to, to exit homelessness, you know, they are going to, are they going to turn up on time? Are they ready to break their cut the current cycle that they're in and they just need an opportunity? So they'll be referred to us that we will then do a one to three month assessment on that person to look at their timekeeping, reliability, customer interaction, money management. The person, if they make it through that program process, sorry, they'll then join our main program, which is six months, where we then provide them with a living wage job, which in London is twenty three and a half thousand pounds a year, housing in 10 days, a bank account therapy support and then a new job typically after around six months but then also within that we are providing everything from cv writing skills to new suits drug rehabilitation mental health services and support to tackle the underlying trauma that that person was facing the longer term of sustainability into saving money and money management digital literacy training financial literacy training, all of these areas which are fundamental in making the that holistic service work, uh, the program work, as opposed to saying, right, we're just going to give you a job, and or we're going to give, we're going to recommend you for, to somebody else to, to have a job. And the, the reason that that's really important to us is it's very easy just to give a bit of a workplace training and say, you know, see you later, and and but it's not, we're not increasing the chances of that person staying in employment. And I think the reason for, that our model work, I think, works for us, is that. We the way we generate income is through selling coffee into corporates, into offices like everyone from Google to Amazon to HSBC, etc. Um, I'm going to miss out hundreds of clients. AstraZeneca, perhaps. AstraZeneca, sorry, AstraZeneca, yeah. And we generate the profit from from selling that coffee. So other organisations might have contracts with local councils or governments where they are paid for delivering certain outcomes, i.e. we'll give you X amount of money when you get someone an interview or when they do a course or when they eventually get into a job. And all of those hidden soft skills and support services, et cetera, which, which we're providing aren't being paid for by anybody. None of our services are being paid for by government. We're doing it just from the profit we generate from coffee sales. So it means that we have a belief, we, we have a desire, sorry, to really make it work and provide all of the necessary wraparound services that even if they we're not being paid to deliver it, we feel it's the right thing for that individual. So that's, I think, one of the reasons that this works. And I think for us, the entrepreneurial spirit is vital because there is so much opportunity absolutely so much opportunity that if you're open to it where it's the bigger issue is taming that and understanding what to say no to what fits into your strategy and that's been one of my biggest challenges you know going from you're automatically made a from being a startup entrepreneur social entrepreneur you jump 10 different roles within an organization and you're made by default a ceo and what does that even mean? You know, there's so much support to help organizations to start up, but there's no support for those founders be turning into a CEO. And do you, does a start, does a founder make naturally, does a founder naturally make a good CEO? There's no research to show that you still have the passion and the confidence and the, and the, and the drive to make it successful, but is it best to bring somebody else in externally to kind of help lead the organization and so on and so forth? So that gap and that training and that education by government or by programs or whoever to help with that transition, I think is vital. And that's been my one of my biggest challenges. Firstly, to learn what does a CEO actually look like and how should I act, who, how should I be? But secondly, how to control 
the things that make an entrepreneur good to then control those, i.e. saying yes to everything and try to work, make, make it, uh, try to work out how to do it later, to control that part of yourself and do things that don't put the company under jeopardy and bring it on structure and operations of control and, and love for your team and, and, and et cetera. Actually, the third area, which I wasn't just thinking about, which is probably moment my biggest challenge is not projecting my entrepreneurialism, that's the word, onto people in our teams and our organization more generally. So expecting somebody else to be entrepreneurial by nature anyway. And what's more important for them actually is that structure, the operations, the actually one, a team member explained it to me perfectly. In his old company, you know, they, if you imagine a fighter pilot, they would have huge amount of resources when they when they when they're on on ground you know from port services and so on and so forth and then the fighter pilots then go up and and deliver the service use that ground support whereas with our our company we've got just we've got so many we've got more fighter pilots than we have those ground services if that makes sense he explained it a bit better than i than i did and actually (laughs) (laughs) but you you get the gist but actually that the the spirit is so true where i'm really the whole i'm employing people who are similar to me high energy and entrepreneurially minded but then what we've been trying to do in the last two years especially since covid is really fix our roof and build up a whole team Mm -hmm. of operations and and that ground support that ground to help build the company in a way that is um supportive of the people that want to deliver the the vision that we all have so on on that point i mean you've obviously gone from a a founder-led entrepreneurial culture you're at the next stage of maturity we're talking again, you know, in 2030. What's what, what's gonna what, what's what's your dream in the next few years? I mean, the underlying dream is that we we continue to be innovative and disruptive in the way that we tackle social problems. That's quite vague and general, and it kind of has to be because we're growing into different directions. And I want, I really want. Hopefully my, you know, my rocking chair test moment doesn't happen uh, uh, by 2050. It happens a bit later, but it's really to look back and feel proud about what we've achieved as a team and as a company. And that, you know, our children can be proud about us and when they're speaking to their friends and and, and explain what we do as parents, et cetera. And that, that is, again, quite vague. But if you then work backwards from that point, for me, it's really around letting t- letting as many people around the world know about the power of social enterprise that's why i do a lot of talks at schools um universities and try to kind of talk about the power of social business and also increasing the change piece brand you know i like we'd we'd love to be a beacon you know of, of what that what that looks like so you can act as an example of what's possible transform as many lives as possible and that doesn't just stand for homelessness so in we're speaking to franchise partners in in tokyo at the moment around supporting what they call NITOs, which are um, young adults who are not in, not in education, employment or training. In the UAE, about working with people who are deaf in coffee bar, in coffee bars, etc. And, and having different types of impact areas in different countries that we're in. So using that spirit of employment and jobs as a way of tackling wow. social problems as the underlying mechanism um, yeah, to tackle that to, to, for growth in those markets where perhaps homelessness is not as prevalent as it is in in the UK or in France, Germany, the US, Australia, etc. And and that's why for me, I try to be as vague as possible because I'm just a bit too scared about locking locking in uh, the the or restricting 
the kind of expression of creativity amongst the team and and really keeping it as open as possible for people to feel like they can be part they're not just part of let's say my journey but they're actually delivering their own expression of their rocking chair moment at the same time and and um and we're all proud of the journey that we're all on together and um as long as it has the same that same underlying thread that i mentioned before then then having the flexibility to grow into different areas i think is what's exciting Fabulous. I mean, we've got a couple of minutes left. I've got one more question I wanted to ask. And then if there's anything else, we'll just talk about how people can get more involved somehow. We've talked, we talk a lot at Lace about cultures of business and how particularly you you read a lot in the press about how people who are just of uh, school leaving generation, they're just entering the world of work, are becoming more and more conscious about, well, I want the business that I start to work for to have the same sort of values as me. And so as you were talking about you going to schools and stuff, I started to think, I wonder, do you find it easier to recruit and attract talent now than perhaps when you started because you're seeing more and more people that are so so they what they want to do is they want to join an organization that has this kind of a certain type of ethos a social enterprise type thing is it is it easier to attract talent at the moment compared to maybe when you first started or is it a little bit more difficult just because of what the market is doing at the moment and the top talent market etc cetera, etc cetera? It's always been pretty easy. We've never struggled to recruit people. It's really one of the best parts of what we do. The biggest challenge is choosing the right people out of the plethora of people that we find. And that's always the big issue and um, that we, we we face. It There is absolutely a... Um, I mean, Escape the City is a good example. I think we were named by Escape the City as the third best impact organisation in the world to work for, which was pretty cool. And that also attracted quite a lot of people to want to join us at the same time. So it's really finding a way where if people are not able to join us, and there is a huge want not to just change people, to join a whole range of social impact organisations, purely because people want to have, whether it's called a rocking chair test or not, you don't want to get to a point in your life where you look back and you have that regret, where it's a bit too late that, you know you've not been able to achieve the things that you want to feel proud about when you're when you look back on your life and I, I think you know we're not in that world of baby boomers at the moment where you just have to work for an end outcome of feeding your family so to speak we have a bit more choice we have a bit more ability to to reflect our vision of the world and what what we want to look back on and feel proud about so therefore social enterprise and impact organizations are always in demand to work with but i, I also say to individuals is think about being a social entrepreneur in an organization mm. you know what what i won't mention names but we haven't been able to recruit some amazing people from some big organizations who wanted to, wanted to join us i said to them i think you'd actually be able to have more of an impact on the world with the reach of your company the power the funding of your company by changing their practices or having an entrepreneurship program or and making them feel more socially minded etc or looking at social procurement will probably have a bigger knock-on effect on the world that we live in than just the direct impact that I that we that you'd be having with us. So thinking about that as well is also quite useful to deliver that change. But yeah, it, it's just and there's 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 great organisations like On Purpose as well who you can take as a comment from the company that you're working with on two periods of six months where you work in those organisations and, and 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 try. I mean, I'm doing On Purpose a disservice. You can research what they do, but it's it's incredibly exciting to see the amazing talent that exists in the world. Who if if you use that talent for good, how we can turbocharge the impact that we want to see in the world. 
Yeah, certainly. We are just on time for our 30 minute podcast but i feel like there's probably about 12 million questions that david and i could uh, have kept on going but we won't keep you any longer so we know you're a busy man just in terms of how people so if i'm a hr director or a chief people officer or a chro listening in now how can they interact with you guys if i'm thinking how do i help what do i do next have you have you got any sort of directions that they can point you can point people towards yeah, I always get in trouble for, 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 for not giving calls to action. So two asks. One is, if your co- if your company buys coffee, we'd love to replace your coffee, coffee supplier. We work with all the major contract caterers and all the supply directly. And 100% of the profits that we generate from selling the coffee goes to lifting people off the streets. The next le- level of that, though, is as we're selling coffee into those organisations, the profit that we generate from that, people that we're supporting from that profit generator, sorry, we can then close the loop and have them working in your organisations if there's a, a, a vacancy of some sort, whether it's a lower level of employment in a, you know, a driver, a technician, an engineer, an apprentice, all the way up to so many people that we've, we, we've supported over the years have experience in, in everything from finance, construction, um, et, cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. So what we're trying to do now is rebuild the, the gap of qualifications or the loss of qualifications in the peers where they've not been working to get them work ready again into kind of roles rather than going into entry level roles again, they can go into areas where and continue where they left off so to speak so really where there's an opportunity to open up potential vacancies to people who might be in either homeless or ex-offenders or refugees etc and using previous skill sets from other countries that they might come from they're all areas that we would love to work with you on so just contact us for either of those areas at hello at changeplease.org and then our team our relevant teams will then get in contact and explain more about what we do Perfect. So, Marl, thank you very much. It's been absolutely enlightening and fascinating listening to you today. So thank you very much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. No, it's been great to have you on. Dave, as always, uh, my partner in crime. Thank you very much. No, thank you. As always, Samal, it's a pleasure to hear about your story and the great work you're doing to to help the homeless and uh, really would encourage listeners today to get involved. Change Please is a truly wonderful organisation and uh, and also they serve great coffee. So uh, get out there and taste it. I mean, that's always the benefit as well, isn't it? Of course, you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. You can access this through uh, Lace Partners website, lacepartners.co.uk. Thank you very much to our guest, Samal, and to david for joining us today and we hope you've enjoyed the podcast Uh, again if you want to reach out to the guys at change please we'll put the link in the show notes to their website as well but thank you very much for listening we hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you next time on the hr on the effective podcast bye-bye